Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv.
We carry the one who this whole story is about. We carry the Spirit of Christ in us, and it's through us that Jesus is revealed in the world. And this is where faith becomes reality. When you wake up to who it is that is in you. When people encounter the power and love of Christ in you, this is where ideas become tangible realities. See, last week we saw that we were secure in the love of God. Aren't you glad we're secure in love of God? And it was amazing to see God's love poured out of this place, to know that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Romans 8, 33 through 39, this is a famous passage of scripture about the love of God. We're just going to read through it quickly, but I just want you to hear Paul's words to the church of Rome, to the children of God, people who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? No. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Then who will condemn us? No. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or in threat of death? See, many believers, they think when life starts going to pot, it means God's love or his presence is not. No, it doesn't mean that at all. He says, in this life, you have trials and tribulation. But take courage, because I've overcome the world. He says, I'm convinced, verse 38, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ. Jesus, our Lord. Lord God, we just thank you for being here in this place today. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your love. I thank you, God, that you brought us all here on purpose. No one just decided to wake up and come today. God, you put it in our hearts because you have something for us today. And I just, I just repent for my anxiety and my distraction and the way I've been trying to control. I just ask God that you would Come and you would set your throne up in this place. Be revealed and you would just lay everything down to you. God, we open our hearts before you. And ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear, a mind that understands, eyes that can see, and a heart ready to believe everything you have for us today. We agree, all God's been said. Amen. Beloved, if you didn't know it before, you know now that you're deeply loved by God. You're secure in his love. Even the trials and tribulations of life and mistakes and mishaps and missteps, nothing can separate you from his love. You know, we in our home, we tell our kids all the time, there is nothing you can ever do to make us not love you. There's nothing you can ever do to make us not love you. Do they try to test that thing? <laughs> yes. They do. But it's true. There's nothing they can ever do to make us not love you. Why do we tell them that? Number one, because it's true. And number two, is so that they're secure in our love. To know that no matter what they go through, what they encounter, what mistakes they make, that their parents are always there to walk them through it. And be there to encourage them to pick them up help them sort out the mess. Yeah. Beloved, there's nothing you could ever do to make God not love you. You're secure in love. Today we're going to look at a few scriptures along the same line, and not just see if we're secure in his love, but we are secure in his grace. Somebody in the house today say grace. Grace. I was really hoping somebody would say, oh, bless thou through the Lord. God's great, God's good, and but no, we're talking about his grace. By show of hands, as a matter of fact, they have crew back here around anywhere. If you can get the lights up in the house, we're still a little dark here this morning. Um, by show of hands, how many of you have seen that show, Extreme Home Makeover? You can have a picture on the screen. It's 
screen on makeover. Yes, everybody seen the show? Yeah. Yeah, very famous. I don't know if they're still making new episodes, but this, this show was a bomb. I remember watching this show, loving this show to death. I truly believe this show single-handedly raised the stock option prices for Kleenex and Puffs and any other Kleenex like tissue brand out there. Now, you cannot watch this show without leaking a little bit. You know, if, if, if you've ever seen this show, they, they pick this family that's really been struggling and hurt and destitute and just really you know, barely making it. They come and they send them away on this amazing vacation, usually to Disney World, for like a week. And then they gather all the community members and builders, they get all the supplies and labor donated, they bulldoze down their old house, and then they rebuild them like a mansion in place of what they had. And if they had any type of handicap need, they would retrofit perfectly for this family. All the kids would get their own room designed by these high-end designers. It's pretty awesome to see what they're able to accomplish in just a minute. But when they get to the place where they say, move that bus, right? Let's say it together. Move that bus. Then you see the reaction of the family. <laughs> it just begins to pour down. If you don't cry, or at least a little bit, you've got issues. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, you've got to leak a little bit. Maybe you ran out and you go to the doctor and get a refill. I don't know. But, but it's just it's an emotional thing. It just is so special to watch. But the thing is, is they pick these families to, to be blessed, and they, they don't just pick them at random. The hosts of the show receive these, um, these video submissions, usually by a friend or family member, somebody that's connected to the family, and to tell their story. And then the hosts and producers of the show filter and vet all these different videos of these stories until they find the one that they just resonate with the most. And this is the family that they knew worthy for this blessing. Right? They're, they're not going down the, the, the mansions of Beverly Hills and saying, hey, we'd like to knock down your mansion and rebuild your new one. They're not doing that. Why? Those people don't qualify. They're already in an extreme home. So they're looking for people that fit the criteria for what they deem worthy of this blessing. Everyone else is unqualified, but these meet the criteria so they're qualified. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, and we're thinking about being blessed, or being in his, in his love, or being in his favor, and, and receiving good things. Isn't it hard sometimes to feel like we measure up? To feel like we're, we're worthy of his blessing? When it comes to it, it's hard not to feel like there's some standard we got to meet first before, before God's going to be willing to bless us in something. Maybe you're praying for something. You're like, oh God, I just really need this promotion at work. It would really help our bottom line as a family. Would you really please? And we almost feel like, okay, now i got to start doing stuff to like convince God I'm worthy of this blessing. And if I just try hard enough, if I don't screw up long enough, if I sacrifice big enough, if I attend enough church services, if I give enough in the offering plate, if I'm generous enough, if I read enough chapters of the Bible each day, if I pray enough hours in the day, then God will love me He'll accept me enough to say, okay, now I can bless their life. Then I can be accepted. I can know I'm worthy to keep around, and I don't have to fear being rejected. Why? Because I'm good enough to be being good with God. Don't you feel like that? Isn't that something we all struggle with? See, this is what we call a religious mindset. Uh-oh, I heard somebody. <laughs> it's a religious mindset. Religion tells us if you do, then you may receive. If you do enough, then God will give you what you ask for. See, what religion does, what this religion thinking does, it deceives us into thinking that God's favor can be earned. That we can buy God's love. Like there's a famous thing that says money can't buy love. Yet when it comes to God, we think, our good deeds, our good efforts can buy his love, can buy his acceptance, can buy his favor. And what religion does is it imprints this doubt and insecurity in our lives because if we can buy God's love, then when we're not good, what happens? We've lost it. We've lost it. And we never really get to feel like we arrive because there's always something more we can do. 
We're left feeling constantly not good enough, ashamed of failure, and discouraged in our walk with the Lord. We're going to read a verse that I think is so profound. I believe God wants us to really meditate on this verse this week, and even in this morning, to set us free from this religious mindset. Because I know many of us struggle with this very thing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Here's what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so no one can boast about it. There's a lot here in just two little verses. So we're going to kind of break this down. We're going to talk about it. Because it is very profound. Beginning in verse 8, the first thing he says is that God saved you. Somebody said, save you. God saved you. What does the word save mean? Well, it really has three realms or three ideas connected to it. It's the Greek word sozo. It means to be delivered, to be healed, or to be made whole. To be delivered, to be healed, or to be made whole. What were you delivered from by God? You were delivered from the power of sin and death. You're, that's called being saved or being born again, when the Spirit of God comes to live in your life and you begin a relationship with God. You were delivered from the curse that the enemy from sin and death has been unleashed into the world. From being a slave to the kingdom of darkness that you were born into, you realize that everyone that's born is born into slavery. We talked about this last week, the fear of dying. And that power is held by the one we call the devil or Satan. He has got this authority that enslaves everyone to the fear of dying. So when you're born into this world as a precious little baby, you're born into slavery to the fear of dying. When you were saved, you were set free from the fear, from the power that the enemy had over you. You were set free from the curses sin placed on you and all of its effects, which ultimately culminate in not just physical death, but eternal death and separation from God. You were made whole. How? Because sin broke us. It broke us. Like Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. In Psalm 147, it says that he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. There are soul wounds each of us carry. And Jesus came to bring healing to those places of brokenness in our lives. And then there's healing. There's physical healing. There's emotional healing. These things are what God has accomplished through Christ. So what did Jesus ultimately do? He came to put us back together. What sin undid, what sin broke, Jesus came to reverse it. God's salvation, his sozo, is a reversal of this curse of sin over your life and all of its ways. Pretty good, isn't it? Pretty amazing. But not only did he say God saved us, it says he saved us by his what? By his, by his grace. So he didn't just save you willy-nilly. He wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to save you. you know. He saved you through a mechanism. It's called his grace. Grace means favor or his approval. So God saved you by his approval of you. By his approval, by his favor. Or an act of kindness beyond what is true or usual. I would say that salvation is pretty unusually kind. Wouldn't you? Well over and above what we deserve. So God saved you by his favor. How did he save you? He saved you by his grace. And then look what it says in verse 8. It says, you can't take credit for it. It is a gift of God. So he delivered you by his approval of you. But you did nothing to deserve it. It was a gift. Thinking about the show Extreme Home Makeover, that's a great gift. Most people can never pay it back, especially those that they serve. You never pay back what they did in that show. And on the surface, I know if you were that family and you were receiving that gift, you'd probably be like, what did we do to deserve this? What did we do? How, how, how did we deserve this? But underneath the surface, they deserved it because they met the criteria to be a part of the show. The producers knew their story would be good television. They met the criteria. And they didn't just go down the street and pick a random person. 
They specifically chose this family according to criteria they're looking for to make it a television show. So Paul says here about believers in Christ and salvation, it had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with your performance, your goodness, or anything you contributed on your part. You get zero credit for this. Zero credit for salvation. So it would be like your friend coming up just a random, just because gift, after you've been a nasty, terrible, inconsiderate friend. And then deciding you're going to take credit for the gift because you think you're awesome. Doesn't make sense. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Matter of fact, you did the opposite. Why are you getting it? Your friend wanted to bless you, wanted to show you favor in spite of what you deserve. See, God's salvation and his forgiveness of your sin, cleansing of all your sin, the presence of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you, the empowerment of his gifts, blessings in your life, every good thing, the scripture says, every good gift flows from our Father of lights, which are in heaven. Every good gift we experience comes from God, and it flows from one place, one aspect of his character, from his grace. It's a flow of grace into your life. It flows from his grace, not to you. In verse 9, here he says that salvation, our redemption, our newfound relationship with God, our deliverance, our healing, our wholeness doesn't come from anything we've done so we can't boast about it. There is nothing in this word of God in our lives that we can point to anything in us and say, we have something to do with it. This is completely counter to the common perception in our world. If you go up to somebody who is an unbeliever, and as a matter of fact, many believers probably feel this way, but if you go up to someone who's an unbeliever to talk about Jesus, and you, you ask them, simple question, if you were to die today and you were to stand before God, would God let you into heaven? And a person that has absolutely no faith would say, yeah, I think so. If you follow that up with, well, why do you think that? What are they going to say? Well, I'm a good person. I have done enough to earn God's favor. It is an everyday common belief. But here Paul says the opposite. You have nothing to do with Matter of fact, not only did you not earn it, you couldn't earn it. You can't. Our best effort compared to God is a different story. Isaiah 64 6 says, We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind. Think about what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, Our best effort. The best we have to offer, the greatest feat, the greatest religious act, the greatest righteous deed we ever do compared to the glory of God is trash. Because we're saying the same. His standard and ours is much different. There's nothing we can do. Not only did we do nothing, there's nothing we could do to earn it. Grace is connected to another term called mercy. I've heard somebody say it like this. It's a great way to remember it. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'll give you an example of mercy. Um, about a couple weeks ago, I may have been breaking speed laws trying to deliver some groceries and get some appointment on time. And I may have gotten pulled over with on something like near 80 and a 55. <laughs> Just confessing. And so I got a ticket. Oh, right here we saw. Huh? Oh yeah, and I was on the bus. Right with wireless. So I wasn't I wasn't texting. I wasn't I was talking. Now if you're driving, don't call Joe. Yes, don't <laughs> We've discovered not only did I get a ticket, someone got in an accident and a few other things. So if you're ever driving, don't, don't, talk, don't answer her call. Or just wait. But I, I got pulled over, and the officer was gracious enough to lower the speed, so it didn't mean me too bad. 
But I got set up a court date where I was going to have to go before the magistrate and atone for my sin. And of course, I was praying and reaching out and everything I can, and it's a nice to have friends in, in high places. Uh, they pray the word, but I get there and I'm waiting, and they tell me I have like I can wait like 15 minutes, and if we get to this threshold, the officer doesn't show up, and then they just throw the ticket out. So I'm sweating in the lobby, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, I'm praying, oh dear God, I repent, I repent, I repent, you know. But lo and behold, the officer didn't show up, and they just brought the ticket. Was I guilty? You better believe I was guilty. But I received the faith of God. I got grace. I got mercy and grace. I was gracious to have the officer not show up through mercy and throughout the ticket. So this is so basic, but it's powerful to really meditate, to really think on what the Word of God is teaching us. If you didn't earn God's grace, if you couldn't earn God's grace, somebody say, I can't earn God's grace. You can't do it. So if you couldn't earn it, and you didn't earn it by anything that you have done, then can you lose it by anything you might do? If you didn't earn it and couldn't earn it by anything that you've done, could you lose it, can you lose it by anything you might potentially do? No. It's not logical. And how many of us, after making a mess of our lives, get so down and discouraged thinking, oh no, what's God going to say? What's God going to think? I'm so embarrassed. I can't even pray. I'm not going to show up to that church meeting. I'm not going to go to my small group because what, what might happen? I'm so pregnant with shame. And it, we just deep down, we wrestle with this idea because I'm not good. I'm not acceptable. I'm not worthy. Can't even receive God's grace, but beloved, you couldn't earn it to begin with. Not by your own merit or your own effort. Why? Because our best efforts are like ashes compared to God's goodness and His righteousness. So there's nothing you can do that's good enough to earn it, and your worst mistakes won't be too big to lose it. Which is why it's called a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. But now there's one element in this verse that we do need to consider. Because there is something we do involved, being involved in the process that applies His grace to our lives. Let's look again at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, God save you. Somebody say, save you. By His grace. Somebody say, grace. Grace. God saved you by His grace just because? No, when you believed. So God saved you by His grace when you believed. Another translation says it like this. It is by grace you are saved through your faith. So God's gift was free to you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to accomplish being worthy of it. It has everything to do with what Jesus accomplished on the cross. His finished work on the cross, his death and his resurrection. Jesus did everything that could be done to acquire this gift, to make this gift, to gift wrap it and present it. His death and resurrection. It's what makes salvation possible. No matter if you're rich or poor, young or old, his gift is the same to all of us. It's the great equalizer. Because nobody in this life is worthy of it. It's a gift to all. He gives the gift of grace. But just like any gift that is offered, it has to first be accepted. If you buy a gift for somebody, and, and you go to present it to them, but they don't ever take it, can they receive the benefit of the gift? No. You have to receive the gift in order to receive the benefit of the gift. It has to be accepted before you can open it, and so too it is with grace. You have to receive God's gift before you can experience the benefits of His gift in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Alright, so
So many people understand that grace is a gift. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this, but I want it to go from here to here. Please, hear me. I want it to go from here to here. Because you struggle with it. It's so simple, but you struggle with this little concept. We understand grace is a gift, but we're still trying to earn it with good works. You, you may have even prayed some prayers and been in church your whole life, but grace was a gift. You can't earn it. Which means when you mess up, you didn't disappoint God. He already knew you're done because you're a sinner. It's a gift. It doesn't work the way we work. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So you receive the gift. You then get to experience the benefit of the gift. The way you receive it is not in religious duty. It's not being born into a Christian family. It's not trying to be a good person. It's not even being baptized. How many people do you know who when you talk about their faith, they point to their baptism? It's not even being baptized. The way you receive the gift is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Amen. It's faith in Jesus. You have to trust in his sacrifice for you and his resurrection. But then what you're doing is you're saying, God, I'm going all in with you. I'm going all in. So, so how do we do that practically? Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You'll be saved. saved. For it's by believing in your heart you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. To receive God's grace, you have to confess and believe. Yeah. Yeah. There are two sides of the singular coin. What's inside our faith has to come out on the outside. What's, if what's inside doesn't come out, it's pointless. James said, without faith, without works, faith is dead. So if you say you believe, but you have nothing to show for your faith, it's pointless, it's profitless, it's as good as dead. What's inside has to come outside. If we believe something, it will affect your life. Think about it. If you believe right now the chair underneath your tush was going to collapse, would you be sitting in it? Why? Because faith requires action. Belief requires action. If we say we believe something, but it has no effect on the way we live our daily lives, do we really believe it? No, we don't. It's just talk. He talks cheap. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, the kingdom of God is not taught, it's living by God's power. And it requires our faith. You believe, but you don't confess. It's not the same as believing. And if you confess, but you don't really believe, you call that believing. You're acknowledging Jesus with your lips, but your heart is so far from it. It takes both. Confession, and believe as a coin that opens the door for God's grace. In Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus said, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I'll also acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but everyone who denies me on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Take his words to heart. How can we acknowledge him if we don't believe he is in the earth? How can we acknowledge him if it's not real? So it's not just what we say, but also in what we do. This isn't a private faith that we keep quiet and hidden from the world. This is a faith that transforms your identity from trying to fit in with the world to trying to fit in with Jesus. Yeah. Where you say, hey, that, that Jesus guy, yeah, I'm with that guy. Yeah. I'm with him. Yeah. Y'all can go that way. I'm going to risk it. I'm going that way. I'm going with my Lord and Savior. Yeah. I, matter of fact, he's such a cool dude. I want to be just like him. Yeah. Well, what did Jesus do? He went around from place to place. Place to place. Look, 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 look. He went from place to place, healing all who were sick and destroying the works of the devil. Are you sick and tired of watching the devil destroy the world? Maybe this church should rise up and who they are and go place to place and put an end to his work. Yeah. Yeah. 
When we surrender to Jesus, we not only discover grace, but we also discover that this Christian life is the most secure life we can live on this earth. Because of all the benefits of God's grace in our lives. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, another great passage. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. We'll read it. We're not going to break it down. We're going to read through it. But I encourage you to go home and ingest this meal tonight. It's a meal. It's not a snack. It's a meal. You know, part of the problem in the church is we've been snacking. We've not been eating. You're starving spiritually. Because you got, haven't gotten off the baby food. Those children's Bible story books don't tell you the whole story, y'all. There's 66 books written by over 40 authors through the course of time of up to 4,000 years, which is completely unified and congruent. It tells the story of creation and redemption, and these are in the pages. And if you're not in it, you're missing out. You're missing out. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Somebody say, I'm hidden with Christ. Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. Why do we hide? We hide because we're scared. To, to find safety when we're feeling in danger. Maybe we're embarrassed and we're ashamed and we don't want anybody to see us. Maybe we're feeling anxious. We hide because that's where we feel safe. And here scripture says, if you're in Christ, your life is hidden and it's hidden in Christ. Where is Christ hidden? It's hidden in the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. The very presence of the Almighty. Your life, if you're a child of God, you're a believer, your life is immersed in the Father, in the very presence of the Lord, which means wherever you go, so does God. Wherever you stand is holy ground. You have God in you and with you. This is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Psalm 91, 1 and 2, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust in Him. Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can fear people do unto me? In Romans 8, 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things? Is more coming. 
We're experiencing the taste, but one day we'll be fully satisfied. So the life we live right now is simply practice for the life we will live in all eternity. We're just practicing. We're training. We're ever learning to live as Jesus in the world now so that we will know what we're doing when we live with Jesus in the world when he comes. Amen. If you think of Jesus when he was here, he wasn't worried about what was going on around him. He was completely secure. Through all the trials and tribulations he would suffer. He was secure even against the opinions and accusations of other people. Why? Because he kept his mind on things that were above. He kept his mind rooted in his identity and who he was. He was able to stay focused on his mission, rely on the word of God and power of the spirit. And because he did, he kept his mind fixed in what was above. He never questioned who he was and why he needed to hear. He never got sidetracked. He never stumbled along the way and had to get back up. He succeeded in his purpose. And on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished. That is a cry of victory. Say, Daddy, I did it. I did it. He accomplished everything he set out to do. In, in the desert, when he was tempted, the enemy tried to get him to question his identity. If you are the Son of God, do this. And Jesus said, not on your dead, rolls my dead body. But I'm not doing it. I know who I am. I'm confident in who I am. I'm confident in my Father in his word. And here Paul is telling us in Colossians, encouraging us to know we're secure in the grace of God. We didn't earn it. We can't lose it. Salvation that we've received is sure, steadfast. Nothing can separate us uh, from his love. No one can pluck us out of his hand. The favor of God is always upon us as his children. If we set our minds on the things of love, we can live without fear because we can not only know who we are, but begin living like who Jesus is yeah. without fear of judgment, guilt, and condemnation or past mistakes. Many of us struggle is because we're not living according to our identity. We are making mistakes, and that's causing guilt, shame, and fear. But Paul, in Colossians here in verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Get rid of the old man. Get rid of what was before. And here it says, sexual immorality, living from pleasure, impurity, which is hypocrisy or physical law and cleanness. Passion, which is affection or a depraved passion, excessive affection for weak things. Evil desire is desire for what's forbidden. Covetousness, which is idolatry, letting other things take God's place in your life. He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This is what is bringing God's judgment one day. He says, this is so profound. He says, in these you two once... Walked, past tense. Yeah. Once walked when you were a slave to sin. Once walked when you were a slave to the fear of dying. Once walked before you were redeemed, set free, cleansed, and purified. You walked in these before you came to Christ. But the story goes on. Verse eight says, "But now, somebody say, but now, but now, but now, you must put them all away." What? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self and its practices. He's saying, let go of the former identity. Yeah. Get it out of your life. Yeah. Forget about it. Somebody say, forget about it. Forget about it. Get it out of your mind. Set your mind on what's above. That stuff, that's what's earthly. That's what's a part of this earth. It's going to perish and vanish away. Set your mind on what's above. How many times do we mess up and say to ourselves, well, I've already failed this way, I might as well just do it all the way. You ever been on a diet and be like, I know I shouldn't eat the cookie, but now that I've had the cookie, I guess I should eat all of them. Amen. I know I'm not the only sinner out here. Come on, this church just said no lie. You know. I'll just have a little bit of cake. A little bit of cake. Yeah. A whole cake. Let it go. We make these concessions all the time. And when we make a mistake, we're hit with that reality. Conviction sets in. That's 
You're not covering up the brokenness. He all breaks it down. There's a difference between the old and the new man. And it's believing faith in Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in the world. Not religious works. It's believing faith that plunges you into that process of removal. That process of shedding off the old labels. You're putting on the old labels that matter in the name of Jesus. And when we move from that first act of believing faith to walking daily in the Spirit, Galatians 5 16, Paul says, Christ said, Let the Holy Spirit guide your heart, and then you're not going to do what the old man wants to do. You're not going to do it. Why? Because God in you is directing you to walk. Your life is Christ. When we live every day by our believing faith, pursuing His presence and His leadership in our lives, to lead us away from the old selves and the old ways and into our true identity in Christ the Lord. You see, it's God's grace that makes salvation possible. It's God's grace that helps us know that it's possible to be different. You can be. You can change. We all need grace. And if we're in Christ, if you're a believer right now, guess what? You're experiencing grace. You're in it right now. We all need grace. It's believing faith that applies it to your life. It's what shifts our mindset from religion to relationship. From having to go to church to getting to go to church. From having to read my Bible today to being excited about what God's going to tell me. What's He going to show me? From having to pray so many hours in a day to I'm so ready to get along with God and be filled back up. To hear his voice, walk in faith, to know him in a more deep and intimate way. And discover that he's already well pleased with you. Well done. Good and faithful servant. See, it's not what you have to do to be a Christian that earn God's favor, it's what you get to do because of God's favor. It's not what you have to do to earn it. It's what you get to do because of it. Because of what he's already done. We don't live like the world. Hebrews 11, 6 says it's impossible to please God for God's sake. Anyone who wants to come here must believe that he exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. But guess what? With faith, we please him. Yes, yes. It's impossible to please him without it. But with it, he's well pleased. He's well pleased. He rewards those who sincerely seek him. How does he do it? By covering us in his perfect grace. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be lost in his as the children of God. Think about it. God is the judge of all creation, but as the children of God, God is not our judge. He's our refuge. We don't have to fear condemnation because those who rest in the shelter of the Most High say, He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. There's a phrase that says, Too good to be true. In the new song says, Too good to not believe. Based on this, there's a phrase too good to be true. Beloved, God's grace is true, but it's true. It's true. There is none who will reject if you turn away from the world and come running in. And we never have to fear failure because He holds us up with His victorious right hand. You know, when I mess up, when I make mistakes, I still deal with this even today. When I make a mistake, I take it very personally. I get very like I've failed beyond restoration in that moment. I'm just so overcome with shame. I feel like I've let everybody down. I've let God down. It makes me even harder to like, gather myself up to, to even pray. But when the Spirit of God is teaching me in those moments, what He reveals to me when I come broken before the Lord, John 6 37 says, However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I'll never reject them. Even when I feel worthy to be rejected, he's constantly reminding me I'm never going to reject you. I'm not going to be. You don't have to be 
afraid. Why? Because his grace never runs out. It's big enough to pull you out of sin, to heal what is broken, to change our identity from what you were to who God created you to be. His grace is big enough to handle your mistakes, to pick you up when you fall, to give you a second chance. His grace gives us hope and a place to run when we're afraid. His grace is amazing. Yeah. And His grace is enough. Yeah. Maybe you're here today and you're down and defeated because of some personal choices that keep coming back to haunt you. Beloved, His grace is enough. Maybe your life's falling apart and you feel like you're letting God down. His grace is enough. Maybe you're ashamed because of something someone else has done to you. You can't can't heal from that. Beloved, His grace is enough. Maybe you're afraid to step out of faith because you don't understand this faith thing yet. There's still so many unknowns. Beloved, let me encourage you, just do it because His grace is enough. Maybe you want to serve, but you don't feel like you're as good as other people. His grace is enough. Whatever the enemy is using against you to stifle your joy, to rob you of your faith, to diminish God's work in your life. His grace is enough, and you can trust Him. He's not going to reject you. He'll never turn you away if you come to Him. Why? Because as a child of God, you are secure in His grace. It's a gift you can't afford, but one who never asked for that. His grace is yours if you believe. And His grace will keep you safe and secure. If you're a child of God in the house today, I want you to repeat after me. I'm a child of God. I'm secure in His love. Because of His amazing grace. I'm a child of God. I'm secure in His love. Because of His amazing grace. Let's all stand together. Lord God, we just thank you in this place. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you despite our failings, our mistakes, our shortcomings, our missteps, our anxieties, our fears. I thank you, God, despite of our past. Or maybe even something struggling through in the present moment. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. And I know, Lord, you brought this word today because there, there are people here that need to be set free from a religious mindset, to break off this, this, this deep belief, this false belief that they need to do to earn your love and favor. God, I just ask you right now, in the name of Jesus, in the power of your shed blood, they begin breaking that off their life right now. That the reality of your grace would saturate their heart and mind. God, I pray for those whose faith is stifled because of fear and insecurity. God, in grace, you begin to touch them right now. Holy Spirit, do your work. God, I pray for those that are dealing with illness and sickness. God, in your grace, we're touching right now. In the name of Jesus. God, I thank you. Your grace is bigger than our distractions, bigger than our struggles, bigger than any giant we may face. And I thank you, God, for what we're about to do in this place. In the name of Jesus, we just stand in attitude of prayer. We're going to bow every eye closed. I just, preparing this message, I felt that there was someone here today, maybe more, but at least one person here today that's having trouble experiencing God's love and grace. Because you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart. There's unforgiveness there. But it's not directed at anyone in particular. It's actually directed toward yourself. You have unforgiveness for yourself because you feel like you just let God down too many times. And you feel like you've not been measuring up. And you feel like a continual disappointment to the Lord. If that's you here today, what the Lord is saying to you is that's why I call it grace. You haven't disappointed me, child. I delight in you. There's nothing you could ever do to make me not love you. So you can forgive yourself and experience the power of my love and grace. Because that's what I want for your life. 
got some here today. I want you to place your hand over your heart. And I just want you to say a simple prayer to the Lord. And just tell him, Daddy, as hard as it is, I forgive myself. And name what you're struggling with. Tell him. Tell him what's holding you back. Forgive myself for making that decision. Or not making that decision. Forgive myself for this pattern in my life. I can forgive myself. But I can forgive myself because you forgive me. And I don't have to wear this label anymore. I'm putting on Jesus. Amen. Yeah, I'm putting on Jesus. Right now, I'm putting on Jesus. It's the only label I'm taking today. God, I thank you for the healing work you're doing. I pray the Holy Spirit will continue to do your work as we go into a time of prayer and response. Minister, Lord, move Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We're going to open the time for response. If you have something in your heart that you need prayer for, our prayer teams down front. You want more of the Lord, you want to be filled with the Spirit, and you just need a spiritual reset. We invite you to come. We'll pray that God fills you up today. If you have sickness in your body, if you have an issue you'd like prayer for, come. Come. We'll pray. We're just going to let the Holy Spirit, as Tony leads us, we're going to let the Holy Spirit minister among us. Maybe you're with somebody, you just want to pray there in your seats and there is God brought the Holy Spirit, doesn't just work down here, it works everywhere. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.